the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. Welcome to a live preaching message from Lighthouse Chapel International, Manhattan, New York. Lighthouse Chapel International Manhattan is the Apache branch of the Lighthouse Chapel International Churches in the United States of America, where the Word of God is imparted clearly, practically, and comprehensively for present-day living. Our aim is to provide a solid foundation of Bible-based instruction to our church members to equip them to preach and teach the Gospel wherever they might be. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. All I see is you When there's mountains all around Said all I see is you Lift up your hands to Jesus when there's no money in the bank account, send all I see is you. When there's sickness in my body, all I see is you. I refuse to see anyone but you, Lord. Say, Mama, Mama.
the first offering. Father, we are grateful this morning that you are in control. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. Bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Reverend Osir is preaching in Pastor Justice's diocese in Philadelphia this weekend. Um, he sends his greetings, so this is the sermon you have, what I'm going to share in the next half hour or so. So um, let's get ready to hear from God differently from you usually do. Shall we pray? Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege of preaching the gospel, for the, pre for the privilege of serving in your house, I pray that this morning the entrance of, of your word will bring light and that it will bring direction, that it will give us information that will help us to be better vessels of yours in our church, in our communities and across the world. We thank you so much for life, for strength and for health. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Scripture, memory, verse. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. I was telling them in the first service that this is shorter than what we usually have, and I'm very relieved because it's not easy to teach grown-ups, a mixture of grown-ups and um, teenagers. And um, now in the second service, you don't even have the children because in the first service, when it's not working, you can focus on GoFax and company and insist that they must remember it and pretend that you didn't see all the adults who are mumbling along. But in the second service, if you are to obey your instructions from Bishop Saki's office, it can get complicated. So it's relatively short. Second Thessalonians 3.5. It says, shall we read? Second Thessalonians 3.5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5. One thing I forgot to do in the first service was to talk about the verse a bit. So let me do that now before I forget. Like I said, for most things, you sit there, you watch someone else doing it, even if it's your husband, over and over again, and it looks easier than it actually is. But when you have to repeat it, you can easily not remember all the various components of what you're supposed to be doing. So 
the verse says, and the Lord directs your hearts into the love of God. It's because there's an alternative place your heart and my heart can go. That's why we are instructed in the book of Thessalonians to pray this prayer. The Lord directs your hearts into the love of Christ. And then you have to ask yourself, if my heart is not in the love of God, where will it be? According to the Bible, if your heart is not directed into the love of God, it will, be, it will follow money. The Bible says, Jesus himself said it, that you can either follow God or mammon. But you see, a lot of us, we don't want to believe that. We believe that, okay, even when I'm not serving God, I'm following something else. But ultimately, what most of us follow is money. That's the alternative. And we all have to pray for ourselves, no matter how immune you think you are to it, that God will direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Into the patient waiting for Christ. Patient waiting. You know, sometimes we wait because we don't have a choice. When you have a flight to catch and you have to go to Atlanta by all means and they keep on announcing at the airport that your flight is delayed, you don't have a choice. You have to wait. Unless you want to lose the money or you don't want to go to the meeting that you have in Atlanta, you wait. And sometimes we don't wait patiently. That's when you say, excuse me, then you walk up to the desk, then you give the people an attitude, then you come back. You're waiting all right for the flight, but it's not patient waiting. And sometimes we have that same attitude in our Christian walk. We are waiting all right, but we are not patient. We are waiting for Christ to answer a prayer, but we are not patient. There's a way to wait that God considers patient waiting for Christ. You're waiting well. A lot of us don't wait well. You get me? Your husband closes at seven. It takes him an hour to drive home. So in your tidy mind, he should be coming home by eight. So woe betide the poor guy. Something crops up at work, and he drives in around 9.30 to a face like thunder because he came at 9.30. Because you have forgotten that Apostle Joel said, in some women's homes, the miracle is that he came home. By you, your husband, he comes home. So now he must come exactly when you plan for him to come home. So that's why you need a pastor like Apostle Joel to remind you that in, he has some church members. The thing about a pastor is that you deal with so many people, you immediately know when someone is a bit too much. Not because you are judging the person, but because you deal with so many people. So when you have five wives or ten wives in their 30s, you know without saying anything who is the one who is difficult and who is easy. You get me? You, 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 don't, you, you don't have a choice because you deal with them as a shepherd. If you are a shepherd of a certain caliber, you will just know. Because, you see, there's a phrase where I grew up that says, geta bidua. Geta bidua. I don't know how to explain geta bidua. Geta bidua is like, it's because you have this, a certain circumstances that you behave the way you are doing. Like Apostle says, in somebody's house, the miracle is that he came home. So if he comes home three months out of 12, 90 days out of 365, person's cool. For the three, the, for the, but in your house, the person comes every day. So the waiting is not patient. And the waiting is annoyed. And the waiting does not bear any fruit of the spirit. In various things, someone else is praying for, someone else is praying for a husband, and it's like, hey, God, you have forgotten. I'm 35. 
this year, nothing happens. I'll marry whomever. It doesn't have to be a Christian. I just want to be married. If I have a kid and I'm living with an unbeliever and it's not working, I work. I'm fine. I'm not going to wait. Not waiting well. We don't wait well for so many things. But sometimes, too, we wait too long. Like if you assist to something and it's your turn to run for something, you should run for it too. Because if you don't run for it, the next time it may not work. It can easily not work. Eight, eight years is a long time to wait for something. And by that time, the thing may not work. Waiting well. Sometimes we ask ourselves, when should I wait and when should I not wait? You need the Holy Spirit to tell you. Some of us also wait too long. Wait too long for everything. When the opportunity is passed, then we wake up like the foolish virgins. The bridegroom has come. They don't have oil. We waited too long to get enough oil. So waiting is one of those things you need the Holy Spirit to help you to wait well and to also know when it is not a waiting time, but it's an action time. So now let's memorize the verse. I did this before so I wouldn't forget like I forgot in the first service. So 2 Thessalonians 3.5 and the Lord died. We are doing two parts. The first part ends at God and the second part ends at Christ. And because I think my husband is a much better teacher than I am, I'm not too particular about try so that we can say that we learned the verse. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Patient waiting for Christ. Okay, I think you want to do it in one go. It suits me too. Okay, one go. It's very short. So, 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 Second Thessalonians 3 5. And the Lord. Should we take it off? Okay. Second Thessalonians 3 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Okay, now just decide. the room has won, hands down. My side of the room has won. Depending on who is standing here, any side can win. Yeah, this one, my, this, my side of the room has won. It doesn't have to be fair. Life is not fair. It's not a verse, but it tends to be true. Okay, so Reverend has been preaching about Lycos for weeks because it's feeding 527 and that's the book that we are using. And he gave us several definitions for lay people. So the definitions are several. And one, one of the main ones we should all remember is that a lay person is not a certified person. 
a lay person does not have a license to do, to practice a certain profession. Um, some of the, for those of us who come from the third world, so many things are done without certification that we don't understand sometimes why everything here requires certification. Where I come from, you don't need certification to put chemicals in people's hair. You get me? If you want to put chemicals in people's hair and they voluntarily came and sat there, you can put the chemicals in their hair. You don't need a certificate for that. You don't need a certificate to say that. You probably do, but nobody enforces it. Maybe it's more that it's not enforced. You don't need a certificate to call yourself a plumber. You don't need your certificate to do a lot of things. You get me? If you, once you can do it, you kind of get it done. You get me? Someone told me a story about an African country beginning with an N, and um, somebody had been performing surgery there for a long time before people realized that he never went to medical school. So my question was, how did he learn how to perform surgery? He assisted any person who assists someone for assists someone for long enough and is um, thinking correctly can probably pick up quite a few things. So I remember I had an aunt who had been a nurse in my country for years and she said she was quite certain she could do certain things. She was a surgical nurse. She said she was quite certain she could do certain things better than a new doctor. Why? Because 30, 35 years of working on the floor, in terms of the actual skill in surgery, she's probably way ahead of a new resident, even though he's her boss. So the thing about um, her and her friends was that if you were a new doctor in my country and you were arrogant, they don't help you. They will watch you struggling, even if it means that somebody will die. They will just watch you because... Like, I mean, you are 25, 26, whatever, 24, and you feel that you do not respect people who are grown up. They will watch you. They will watch you, but they are not licensed. You have the license. They have the skill. And until your skill matches theirs or supersedes theirs, you are wise to mind them. Um, the, what we do in this church is a lay ministry for the most part. A bishop started the church as a lay person. He was a medical student when he started the church. And all of us that he, he led to Christ, some of us were Christians when he met us, but he discipled us. And all the people he has taught since those days, the church was founded on the lay ministry. If we change it now, it will collapse. And we change it when we refuse to do the things that lay people do. So this morning, it's, um, I, I think that this is probably the last time we are preaching like us in this series. I want to talk to you about why we must fight to protect the lay ministry. We fight to protect the lay ministry because the lay ministry, like everything that is good, it has enemies. It has things that fight against its flourishing and its doing well. So it's, I was telling them in the first service how there's no point liking gardens and farms if you don't fight or get rid of you don't get rid of what spoils your flowers and what spoils your crop and what will spoil your harvest. So you can like the flowers or you can like having the harvest of corn or you can like whatever it is you have planted. Or the business. But if you don't deal with what will kill it, the enemies of the crop, the enemies of the garden, the weeds, the diseases, the pests, 
the insects. If you don't kill those things, whatever you're planting will not grow. So in the lay ministry, we have to be careful that the church does not become a breeding ground for things that kill the lay ministry. It doesn't mean this is the only way to have church. But our particular church is a lay ministry. So if we start thinking like churches where there is no emphasis on the lay ministry, our church will die. Because our church is not, we have sp- the way we have spread ourselves around the world, if we have to sustain this by doling out paychecks, it will crumble. We have seven billion souls to save on earth. We are going to pay everybody for what they do in the church of God. We can't do it. It's not in our denomination. We didn't start out like that. We can't do that. Galatians 1.9 says that, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And then I'm reading now. The bishop says, Paul was sure of what he was teaching. He believed in the gospel being sent to the ends of the world free of charge. Freely you have, freely have you received, freely give. That is the gospel that we preach. Do not give place to people who turn the ministry into a business. No, not even for an hour. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Bishop says the absence of lay people working for God is a tragedy. If there are no, if there, if there, are, there are seven billion people on the planet, you know, and we are all sometimes so consumed with our own world and where we are. A, a, a few weeks back, uh, Reverend and I had the privilege of being in China. And when you see the sheer volume of the people, I, I, I had never been to Asia before, he has. He went to Korea some years back. When you see the sheer volume of the people, when we got to Manila, he told Bishop, anybody who doesn't have a certain presence here has really not had impacted the gospel. It's an entirely different part of the world. It's for those of us from the, what used to be called the British Commonwealth, um, if you, if you know what it is, you know what it is, and if you don't, you don't. I mean, this is not the place to explain it because it's probably an old expression that is no longer useful. That's why people don't know it. You get what I'm saying? So if you don't know it, it's not a problem. But for those of us from that part of the world, we know only certain things. London, you get me? London, all roads lead to London from where we come from. All roads lead to London. By all means, you must go to London. And then by all means, if, I mean, from London, then some people come here. But London is where we typically go. Our churches in London are way bigger than our churches here. In a smaller concentration of maybe mileage, you can find a bigger, bigger light, larger lighthouse congregations than you can find in the U.S. But, so we are so used to that. But there's a whole other side of the world. Billions of people in India, in China, who will preach there in some of these places if a professional does not go there, you can't preach the gospel. Like Reverend was saying, we were, when we were in the Cathedral of Praise in the Philippines, the pastor introduced a pastor and his wife who had had, they had sent to Shanghai in China to start a church. And they had been deported. 
Because you can't go to China easily and say that I am a priest. They don't want priests in China. They don't want anybody to come and evangelize their people. So that if you want to have a church in China and there's like the person has to be a student or some other type of professional and be there. But the person can so then if we kill the lame in Sri Lanka, even places we cannot go. Bishop told us in Memphis how Pastor, so far as he, the bishop of the church, is concerned, there's no difference between Pastor Ernest, who used to be here with us, and Reverend Ben in Haiti. They have both left the US and Ghana, where they come from. But Re uh, Reverend Pastor Ernest is in Nicaragua as a pharmacist. That's how he got in there. You can't go to the Nicaraguan embassy and ask for a working visa to go and preach. They don't give such visas to preachers. But because he's a pharmacist in Nicaragua, that the church does not pay, he's able to preach the gospel. That's the lay ministry. If we kill it, that's several parts of the world. We cannot have a church. The, 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 the pastor and his wife, they looked so sad. They had built a congregation in Shanghai. They had just been deported back to Manila. So now they were going to have to go to Taiwan to go and live in Taipei and now deal with the Chinese converts that they had to continue the work that they had done. But if they had a professional working in Shanghai, nobody can close the church down. In several parts of the world, that has always been. When I was growing up, smuggling Bibles into China could end you up in prison. There was a Dutchman who risked his life over and over, I've forgotten his name, over again just to take Bibles into China. Over and over again. Over and over again. The lay ministry is sometimes the only way for this gospel that you and I say we believe. We say we believe. But sometimes when people look at us, they can't tell that we believe. They can't tell that we believe anything. So we must not allow that, 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 good, that part of the good news to be corrupted. It doesn't mean that the full-time ministry is not valid. But it means that there's a whole lot of stuff that cannot be done. Seven billion people. I was asking in the first service, how many branches Lighthouse has in America right now? And I think y'all told me that we had 143, 100, 140, 143 branches in the USA. That means that in this church alone, we have about four or five pastors. In most churches, there's just one pastor. The smaller branches start, start out like that. That means that if Bishop has to pay people to have a lighthouse in this country, what is going to happen is that he's going to be paying maybe almost 200 people. He's going to be paying almost 200 people in the USA, a living wage in the USA to do the work of God. The church will die. There will not even be enough to do the work here, let alone take it to help in the parts of Africa where through no fault of the people, their offering is cassava and, and yam and tomatoes. How would they also have a church? And they are more than us. Look at the number of people in this room. We started Lighthouse in New York in 1995. November 1995. I, I don't forget because, maybe even a little earlier, because that was the year my middle son was born. That was when we started Lighthouse. My son is a senior in college. Look how many people are in the service. In the poor parts of the world, if you start a church 21, 22 years ago, Richard is saying, oh, place will be packed with thousands of people. Why must not Bishop be able to move money from here so that people who have nothing 
will also have a roof over their head. At least they, they will go to church. They will actually go to church. They will actually do what the pastor says. They will actually read their Bibles. They don't have many alternatives. They don't have alternatives. If you are a cripple in those places, I was sitting in the services in Manila, you could feel the faith of the people was tangible. Because the Philippines, in a certain sense, a bit more developed than Africa, but there's still poverty there. So the, 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 the pastor, the American pastor whose church it is, he has lived there for 34 or 35 years. You should see his church. You can't compare it to our church here. So we can't kill the lay ministry. We should not kill the lay ministry by having bad attitudes and bad minds about it. The lay ministry should not die on our watch. That's how the church started. So we, can, we, we have come to New York and we are about to kill it. We want to kill it because we are tired. We can't kill it. We should not kill it. If we kill it, our church is dead and every church like our church will be dead because there is no way. How will he pay? Even if there was one pastor for each of the 143 branches, how will Bishop pay them in US dollars? How? How will he pay them? He can't. So the lay ministry has to exist. And for the lay ministry to exist, it's not just the pastors. Because all of us lay pastors used to be shepherds. And all the shepherds used to be members. It's just an attitude that you have to the things of God. That I must personally sacrifice for the church of God to advance. And if we don't have that attitude, it won't work. And the other thing about it is that um, we must openly say that this attitude is wrong. You see, because there are some things that the pastor cannot even say because the pastor does not even know that it is happening. If you are in the choir and some choristers are complaining about transportation to choir, choir rehearsal, or you are among the instrumentalists and they are complaining about the church must pay us something to play the instruments, you, 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 you must be a newcomer to Lighthouse. Even the pastors, the lay pastors, nobody's paid. So, I mean, I remember there was a pastor who, who wasn't used to us. I think he joined us when he was in his early 30s. So when he first joined us, he said, ah, the pastor's conference, nobody pays anything for you. I, so my husband asked him, you must be new to this place. And if you don't go, there will be a penalty. It's either that you want to do it or you don't want to do it. You must have a very valid reason not to show up at a pastor's conference in your region. And there was a time when even the conference in Accra, but that one, they realized that they has, they, the person said had to back off a bit on that one. But in your region, you must have a very good reason not to show up. And nobody pays you to do what you are doing. You have to find your tickets. And it's, so if a pastor has to do that, then as a shepherd, you must also do something. It must cost you something. People come into your house for a cell meeting. When they leave, you, you have to vacuum the place. You didn't buy a ticket. You have to prepare, take, take some time to prepare the message. Because it takes time to prepare a message. The message is a meal for the people of God. When you are cooking for your family, it takes time to prepare the meal. You can't just show up in a cell meeting. You didn't read the book. You don't know the verses. In this day and age where we all listen to podcasts, hey, it's a wonderful thing without the podcast and without the books. I wonder what a lot of us will preach. But you see, what amazes me is when people don't even check those ones. When you are listening to a message, you should remember that the person was speaking most of the time, they couldn't read their notes. So if he says a verse, 
a reference. And then he quotes it. Do not assume that the two things match. It's not the person's problem. You were listening, you assumed. So you can easily say, put this verse on the board, on the, on the screen, and then it will be a different verse from what you said it was. And then what are you going to say is Bishop Dag? It's I was listening to the Makane, or I was listening to the Puamano. You are, you say you are a preacher. You say you are a pastor. Check your own cross-references. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You don't need to be perfect, but it will cost you something. And nobody's going to pay you, pay you for it. You have to believe that what the choristers were singing is true. That he is a great rewarder. Even you, you reward little children. You reward them for good behavior. You punish them for bad behavior. And sometimes in a country like America, we reward grown-ups for bad behavior. But, I mean, it's, a, it's our choice. We can choose to reward grown-ups for bad behavior. And you can choose to reward children for whatever behavior you like. But God is not like that. God is a great rewarder. A great rewarder. You either believe it or you don't. And when you believe it, when you are doing something for God and it's getting difficult, you pray for his grace to believe that he rewards he rewards. Because Lady Reverend preaches all the time to the pastor's wives. She tells us, who called you? Who called you? That you are expecting this great uh, thanksgiving from your husband or from some senior pastor. Who called you? So that everything that you do in the house of God, something is not working in your house, is not working in your relationship, you won't do it again. Who called you? If you believe that God called you, no matter what is going on in your life, you will do the work of God. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he is a great rewarder or are you just singing? You know, sometimes we sing and I think God must look from heaven and it's like, we are like children in kindergarten or pre-K or something. We are saying the verses like nursery rhymes. You get me? Because if you don't believe it, then singing he is a great rewarder when you don't believe it and you don't live it. It's just like a child sitting in a pre-K class singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. How I wonder, what, what does it say? How I wonder who, what you are. Like a, up above the world so high. Like a diamond in the sky. You see, something you teach children. You say it, it doesn't mean anything. Like a diamond in the sky. You, you get me? You, you say it, you say it. I mean, what, what other nursery rhymes does anyone know? Who knows, who knows the nursery rhymes? My husband says, depending on the kind of school you went to, you don't know nursery rhymes. Just keep on smiling. We don't know what school you went to. Uh, we, we, who knows nursery rhymes? Which, which one is it? Mary had a little lamb. What, what, how does that one go? Its fleece was white as wool. And, and, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Is that how it goes? It followed her to school one day. And that was against the rule. man knows the nursery rhymes. And that was against the rule. And, and Reverend Joseph, he also knows. You get me? There's another one. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again, right? Oh, yeah. You see, so, depend. If, if, you, see, you see how, do you know why it comes back? Because when you were very young, you said it and said it and said it and said it. That's why it comes back. So some of us Christians, that's how the verses are to us. We don't believe it. We don't live it. We say it, and we say it, and we say it some more, and we say it some more. We can say it. 
we can preach it. The fact that you can say something and the fact that you can preach it doesn't mean that your life is testifies about it. Anybody can learn how to say anything. Depending on where you were raised and the school you went to, memorization, no problem. Especially for those of us who come from a certain part of the world. We are teaching children to memorize things by the time they are two and three. Time's table. I remember being young. I remember being young and being terrified because my parents had been married for quite a while before they had a child. And so, even though I was a girl, I was my dad's hope of having a doctor in his house. So, I would have my hands behind me and I'd be saying the time's table. I dare not forget anything. I'd be shivering. He would start two, one, then you start. You go through the whole thing. Two, three, then you move to three. Then you move to four. Then you move to two. By the, I, I, don't, I must have been really, really young. My mom used to be so worried. She said, she's not a boy. Because my mother has had this thing that girls, I mean, they go to school fine. They don't go, not too bad. I mean, my mother was one of those. She was a teacher, but she wasn't that concerned about such things. But my dad, it was like I was, you know, it's every, I think most men, their firstborn is someone that, look, the memorization, I had no choice. There are times when I'd be shivering. He said, tomorrow, seven. You get me? We lived in the, in the eastern region. We lived in a small town in Ghana called Akusumbu. And he worked for the university. So he would go into the Legon bookshop every time he went to Legon and bring back the books. I didn't have a choice. I had to read it. It's just my, my siblings say he never did that for any of them. And I think it was true. He wasn't, by the time they were growing up, he wasn't that interested. And so if the book was in a series, it was 6A and 6B, and I finished this one, the next week he brought 7A and 7B. I always read differently from everybody in my class. Memorization is nothing. So if I remember the verse and I don't live it, it's useless. It's useless. And a lot of you are like that. Grew up in places where memorization was part of the culture. You can memorize anything. You just look at it and you remember. But can you live it? Can you live it? That's the question. Will you kill it on our watch in New York? Will a church that was started by somebody whose father was wealthy enough to send him abroad to, do, to, to study for postgraduate, Bishop doesn't come from where my husband comes from. When my husband and I got married, he tells you guys all the time, I made more money than him. He lived, we lived on my paycheck, and he saved his to buy his ticket to come here. That's not where Bishop comes from. And he says it himself all the time. That's not where Bishop comes from. Where Bishop comes from, they can make arrangements for you in Oxford or Cambridge to go do the postgraduate. Where Bishop comes from, he was flying first class at 10. You, you, you get what I'm saying? That's where he comes from. He left that to do what he's doing now. So why must he build a church and you and I arrive in New York and use our immigrant mentality to change the church? We're spoiling the church. We cannot allow you to do that. We will not allow you to do it. We must not allow you to do it because somebody's salvation depends on it. Somebody's salvation depends on it. Everybody, not everybody was preached to by people who were being paid. 
Some of us, the people who got us born again when we were very young, they were young people who just believed the gospel. I was telling them in the first service about uh, Mrs. Rosemond Anaba, it's Anaba's wife. She was two years ahead of me in the Brigels. She would come in the Brigels, our compounds are two. From one compound was called the Irene Anderson compound. She would come from the main compound and look half tracts and preach to 10 and 11 year old girls about the salvation of Christ. Who's, who was paying her? She's another person. She comes from a very wealthy home. She's a shanty royalty. You know, some people call themselves Nana in the Bronx. We don't know where they come from. But that girl, <laughs> that, that girl is with Annabeth's wife. She, she's from, I think the word is Manshia. Is it Manshia? I'm not saying well. She's from the royal family in Kumasi. She used to leave the main compound to talk to who? People, people who can't pay offering. It wasn't a church. She just believed so much in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. She would preach it for nothing. She was disowned when she married him and moved to the Upper East or the Upper West when he came from. She was disowned. It's just recently that she's been reconciled with her family. They disowned her for marrying him. That's where she comes from. That's where she comes from. So why should we allow you to bring your immigrant mentality into New York and spoil our church? We will not allow you. I personally have had enough of it. And so these days, everywhere I notice that immigrant uh, mentality is spoiling the church, I speak up. I care not for the consequences. Why should I care? Why should I care? Somebody who doesn't care, he has won the presidency of the White House. You get me? It's, it's a reward on earth. Then me, I should care about something that will give me eternal rewards. Somebody who does not care what people think, how people feel, what will happen to them. Person has spoken and spoken and spoken his way into the highest office on earth. And then we are quiet about things that will affect people's salvation. Shame on us. Shame on us. Spoiling a church that people built on sacrifice. That people have, 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 have built no matter what is happening in their personal lives. I, was, I don't know why I'm talking about the Anabas today. I haven't seen them in years. I was preaching in Philadelphia. And just as I was leaving, it was a 31st night service or something like that. And my husband said, I saw some bad. I said, don't say it. I can't drive. I'm driving alone. Something happened to Israel. I said, don't say it. I can't drive to Philly. So... I knew something had happened, but I just ran into the car and drove to Philly. After the watch night service, a young lady came up to me. She said, Lady Pastor, is it true? So I said, what? She said, two of his daughters died in an accident in one night. Two of his daughters and about three or four of his most trusted people. They went to pick the girls from school. I think one of them was in tech. She was med student, engineer, something. And then a younger one from some other school. They died. He's still preaching. What has happened to you for which you want to spoil our church? We were so shaken. Because you see, when stuff happened to the rest of us, we are lay people, so people don't even know. Maybe it's because we didn't go full time. That's why this has happened to your child. Maybe because you didn't do this. That's why that happened to that. But when something happens to people like the Annabes, two of their four children die in one day, 
they buried, I think, five or six people in one day. Lady Reverend went to the funeral. She was shaking. There was quiet in the charismatic community in Ghana from the north to the south because the Anabes are a standard. They could have been anywhere in the Western world with a church and it would have been big because he can preach. Very anointed man of God. Lady Reverend was preaching at his women's meeting in Accra this past weekend. And they are still preaching. They lost two children in one night or one day. And they were having a convention. It's not like they were sleeping that day. You see, there's a verse in the Bible. It says that at a time when kings go forth to battle. So we said David's problem started because he didn't go to the war. The man was preaching at a convention. What has happened to you for which you want to spoil our lay ministry? Church is very quiet. The next one says the same, kind of, it's a similar thing, but I'll share it anyway. It says, do not build the, the lay ministry and destroy it afterwards. Galatians 2.18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I build again. So, even I was saying that a child with Lego blocks can understand it. So you and I have to understand it. You and I have to understand that a man cannot start a church in a certain sense since he was 16 and not be paid through most of that time until the church became something. For us to spoil it now and then build it again how? With people who are being paid? When he used to walk around Accra at 16 visiting people, I remember it, they were the first people I knew who preached the gospel a certain way. We were born again from secondary school, yes, but not in a certain radicalized way that affects the entire, your entire life. Bishop Adi would, even without money, if he had enough money, I lived in Mataheko, he would get off somewhere in Kaneshi and walk. You are going on follow-up and visitation with a car. You cannot go. Your car is so nice, you cannot park it in Evington, New Jersey. When did you start driving? Where are you from? Tell us where you are from. We will figure out whether you are a first-generation driver or whether anybody in your house drove before you. It's the people who don't know that you can bamboozle. Even when you mention your name, we can tell. I can ask the woman here, how many of you had a mother who drove? I know Nicola's mother drove. I don't want to mention names. How many of you had a mother who drove? You can't park your car where? You can't buy gas to go where? In your house, they sit in cars. You are not. <laughs> Sometimes I look at people and I want to laugh. Lady Pastor Rosin said to me once, she, was, she usually runs the camps for our church in America. And she said the most annoying thing is that is the people from nowhere who annoy you the most. I can't sleep here. I cannot share with this person. 
I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I will not do this. I will not do that. She said, she told some people once, where are you from? She said, myself and Lady Pastor, where we come from, at least, our fathers were civil servants. They don't have too much, but they are not poor. But for Bangalore, all your life, you will get some. Bangalore, no problem. Car, no problem. If we can share a room with each other, for what reason can you not share a room when you are not married? For what reason must you complain about every roommate you have? And we bring that same attitude into the service of God. For that same reason, we cannot be inconvenienced. We cannot be called. We cannot make calls. We cannot take the subway. Hey, what betide you to tell somebody to take the subway to go and visit sheep? You used to take Trotro, we know you. <laughs> Trotro is local uh, car in Ghana moving from place to place. Dollar van, dollar van. Now you are taking dollar van, you can't go on visitation. Hey, you used to take Trotro, I said, we know you. We know you. Trotro is what you used to take. And even when you didn't used to take it, it's because you were feeling better than you should feel. Look, the work of God, people have sacrificed in this our church. We cannot destroy the work they did just because we live in New York. And we should not. We should not. The next point is, do not frustrate the grace of God that works through lay people. Galatians 2.21 Do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law then Christ is dead in vain. When the grace of God is at work a person is supernaturally lifted up. I believe that the grace of God in my life makes me a very different person and that every time I can't handle the ministry it is because I'm not investing time in waiting on him. And I want to say that we, every lay pastor and every, every shepherd in this church must be careful of this thing that Bishop talks about. That unfortunately some lay people take the grace of God for granted and begin to think that being in full-time ministry is not necessary. Look at the results of lay ministry in New York. Since Apostle left, when Apostle was here, before Apostle spread us out, to start churches in Newark, in Queens, in the Bronx. Auntie Amara remembers, Auntie Felicia remembers. There's a few other people who remember. Tasha remembers. Before, you, sh you should have seen what Apostle built up in Manhattan in about, I think, eight to ten years. I've forgotten whether it was eight years, nine years. I've forgotten how long he was here when he took over from Bishop Adi because he was full-time. There's nothing like a full-time minister. And the fact that lay people get a certain, um, certain results and that we are needed does not make the full-time ministry unnecessary. And the reason why this point has to be driven home is that if you don't drive this point home, because you have a bit of success in the lay ministry, you start feeling better than the, than the people who are paid to do it. But if everybody did it on Sunday and Tuesday nights and occasionally on Friday nights, a church would not even look like this because the base of this was built by a full-time minister. So let's not get it wrong. The full-time ministry is very necessary. What the bishop is talking about is that when you have decided to be lay, when you have decided to be lay, 
don't want the rewards of full-timers. My husband told somebody once, the person was talking, said that apostle was, I mean, the person was tired. You know, when, when lay people are tired, they talk. You know yourself, you are a lay person. So I'm using the pastor so that you, you will sit there and feel holy. So this lay pastor was tired. And he was complaining about how back in the day, apostle could teach informal pastoral training for the rest of us till 1 a.m. Then another friend would say that the meeting has no starting time and no closing time. If I say it's in fancy, it sounds funnier. And we used to joke about these things, and Bishop Saki heard us. We never heard the end of it. We don't joke about certain things anymore. Because somebody has to have a life where he can teach people like myself and my husband till 1 a.m. Otherwise, today, that he has been moved around as an apostle, this church cannot be here. We are his fruits. He was younger than us. He gave up what we did not give up for the church to be what it is today. When Apostle used to preach in New York, he was Pastor Joel. He was a young man in his late 20s or early 30s. Antiama is laughing. He came from London after saying that he was allergic to the ministry. And he took this ministry in this country to a different level. But it cost him everything. So we cannot allow you to spoil it today by a resistance to the culture of the lay ministry. Sheep must be followed up with your money. But, but, but with whose? With who? I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm using the right pronoun. Don't worry. It's a long time since I took English grammar. But you understand what I'm saying. With whose money will you go and do the follow-up? With whose money will you buy the gas? In whose house will you host the AOFM meeting? And how will you serve refreshment for the AOFM? The, the people, your money. Rachel, you are right. Your own money. How will you do it? With whose money will you buy tickets to go to camp so that you can be trained to do the ministry? With whose money? With yours. That's the sacrifice. That's the part that we do. So we can't stop it. We shouldn't frustrate the grace of God by comparing ourselves to the full-timers. You see, a full-timer has a heart for God that obviously you and I don't have. We just have to be a little honest with ourselves. We shouldn't let the fact that People who are in full time, some people have misbehaved in different places. Because in every group of human beings, you will find some deviance. If you know a real full timer, and I know a few, you will know that they are diff- their Christianity is different from yours. I have never lived with a full timer. My husband has never been a full timer. I have great respect for every lady pastor who lives with a full timer. She doesn't have to, pre- to preach. I respect her. I don't know what I would do if the lighthouse paycheck is the paycheck. I never, and, 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 and I recognize it. I, I have tremendous respect for Lady Pastor Sarah and the others that from a very early age they had husbands who went full time. Never lived with anybody who gets a check from the ministry. And the things people in church can say about everything you wear about what you drive, about where you live. I don't have that problem. So I should respect it. She doesn't have to preach one sermon for me to respect her. Because I never had to do it. And so we shouldn't kill the ministry. It has cost people their lives. 
We shouldn't kill it. We shouldn't kill the lay ministry. How do we kill the lay ministry? By not sacrificing in the church anymore. I was telling them in the first service how Bishop, Bishop, could, Bishop, Bishop is one of those people, he's versatile. He was a Calvary Road organist. He actually is one of those people, he learned music. For those of you who have friends who learned piano in Ghana, I didn't. My dad wasn't into, into music, he was into memorization. <laughs> so I, didn't, I never had a piano teacher, but I have some cousins and friends who had piano teachers. They learn music to the point that even when they are in secondary school, they take these English exams in music. They take it in different, at different levels, grade one, grade, I think a certain grade was the highest. I have friends like that. They understand music, you know. They didn't learn it to pass an exam when they were in form two or form three. They know when they say a demi crochet and a demi whatever, all those things, they understand all. They can play different things. They, they understand the music. Bishop is like that. He can play most instruments. Apostle Joel is like that. Apostle Joel says he learns without the formal training. He's, I think he's just gifted. Yeah. But Bishop understands the skills, all the other stuff. They played instruments for Calvary Road and those groups in Ghana, which have all kind of metamorphosized into churches. They played music for them for nothing. They weren't paid. When Bishop Adi used to come, would appear in my house to check on your Christian life. Are you having your quiet time? Are you praying? Are you okay? Because I, I didn't live in a house where you could go to the meeting. My father was an Anglican. He himself, he went to church three times a year. But you, he won't let you go to another church. You get me? It took a very long time for him to let you go to us to go anyway. He, he doesn't let his kids go anyway. So they would come and teach you in the house at their own cost. They were just shepherds. Today, if Rhoda does not have a list to check against you, to say, mention your name, uh, Rachel Imbe, these people, where are they? Did you call this person? Veronica has to send an email a zillion times around. Just call the person. You call people and talk for two hours. The most a conversation with somebody you are following up will last is how long? You make the call. You won't visit the people at your own cost. You won't do it. You won't call the person. You won't visit the person. Before we even say pray for the person, which is easier, call the person or pray for the person. Which one is easier? The call is easier. You don't even call. When will you pray? Before we bring in visitation. The church will spoil. We know, just in case you haven't noticed, we haven't had a full-time pastor for a long time. I didn't come to Manhattan with Reverend Osei. When did Reverend Osei come to Manhattan? Who remembers? 2007? Yeah, about, the, about that. Six? 2006? Okay. So between 2006, 2007, you hear that way. Since that time, this branch has not had a full-time minister. If the shepherds don't help, people cannot be taken care of properly. He's one man who is late. He can't be apostle. He can do his best, but he's not apostle. Sometimes he feels so burdened because he doesn't want the church to die on his watch. Sometimes I feel sorry for him 
He's looking at the data. It's like, what is this? But it wasn't meant to be done by one lay person. A lot of people have to, a lot of things have to work together for good. A lot of people have to work for the church to work. In your area, who do you preach to? Just teach three or four people. We haven't even asked you to go on, on evangelism. Reverend Joe, it's not evangelism. Open a book. One chapter. Call five or six people. You say they don't come. What do you do that they don't come? Have you considered that one? What do you do to make them not come? You, why, why should I say that? Bishops, one of Bishop's major principles is that everything rises and falls on the leader. Everything rises and falls on the leader. If you keep on telling me they don't come, they don't come, they don't come. I'm watching you. Fine protocol does not allow me to tell you personally, but I can say it in the air, like right now. Fine protocol does not allow me to tell you that everything rises and falls on leadership. I have been told the same thing so many times, and I believe it. Nobody comes to your meeting, start praying. Church is a spiritual thing. Your AOFM is a spiritual thing. If you won't pray for it, why should the people come? The people are already tired from work. If you won't make a way for them to come, why should they come? If nothing they hear, they hear in that meeting affects their life in any way, why would they come back? Nobody does something that doesn't benefit them all the time. What are you doing in your meeting that is making the people not go, not come? This is quiet. You, you were given ten, ship, ten, ten, ten sheep in your area. Since you took them over, even church, they don't come. And when they don't come, you don't call, you don't call them. You, you see, when you don't say hi to people, there was a time, Reverend said, you don't say hi to the person, you don't chat with the person, you don't play with the person. Every day, you just want to open book and say, chapter 11, Bishop Dagi, what Mills has written in his book, that it can't work. You should ask me, I know, because my natural personality is not friendly. So after I've done it, I've done it often enough times to realize that nobody cares what you have to say if you don't even have a little bit of rapport with them. People really don't care. There's enough televangelists preaching on the television. They can put on their television and watch their telly and watch uh, Joel Austin. And he preaches better than you do. How do I know? His church is bigger than your AOFM group. <laughs> so, since he preaches better than you do, and he's free on the television, and, he, and you don't make any effort to link up with anybody, and you have this uptight New York, I don't know whether it's an uptight New York attitude or Jersey attitude, you're more American than the Americans themselves. Hey, who should come to your meeting? Nobody will come. Nobody will come. And you will keep on saying nobody came. Your pro the problem is that, you see, you see, Reverend Ose and I are spoiling you. We can't tell you the things Bishop used to tell us. We are trying to be politically correct. It's killing all of us. So now it's me. I pray for the grace not to be politically correct or any, I mean, correct in any way. 
Because Bishop, I remember his wife and I were complaining that the women don't come for women's ministry meetings. And we were discussing it and we are talking about all the people who don't come. And he had been praying in his study. It must have been in 93, 94 because Reverend had come here already. And he had heard us. He came to make coffee and he went back. And then I think he came to get something about three hours later and we are still sitting there. Then he stopped. He said, let me tell you people. You, the two of you, you, he said, he so told his wife, you and your assistants, you have been sitting here chatting for three hours. Then you want to go to the meeting tonight. Who will come? The meeting, you don't pray for it. The people, how much prayer have you prayed for them? Since you prayed for them at the end of last week's meeting, have you prayed for them again? Why would they come? It's a spiritual thing you're doing. It's ministry. You have to prepare the word, but you must also pray. And if you don't pray, who will come? But if it was some of us today, a lot of the, the, the husbands in this church, you can't tell your wife that. You are afraid. Who born you to, tell her, to say that to your wife? You can't tell your wife that. You know the things we have been told as we are standing here preaching. Yeah. By you, you can't tell your wife anything. And so you will have a ministry that is hampered by the fact that your wife can do whatever she likes. This is quiet. Your ministry will forever be hampered. I'm not saying be cruel to your wife. Bishop is not a cruel person. My husband is not a cruel person. But if something needs saying, they say it. And when they also need to hear something, we also say it. We have that kind of a relationship. You can talk. I can talk. Let's talk. <laughs> we can all talk. The only thing you shouldn't do is be insulting each other. It's a healthier relationship but than this thing where you can never say anything is wrong. It will affect your ministry. It will affect you in your life. You don't like something, you don't say it. How is the person supposed to know? I heard Bishop preaching during the week about all of us taking very seriously the things our spouses say. You see, you can't decide for somebody what is nice and what is not nice. If I say my birthday is important, it means my birthday is important. You can't decide that because your birthday is not important to you, my birthday is not important. And I also cannot decide that. If, if Bishop, Bishop put it this way, he said if your husband says he likes clean, those of you who listen to him on the podcast, and you, you say you, you like doing your hair, but you don't bath, it's a problem. Because you have done your hair, and it's expensive, but the person wants clean. Believe it. That's where, he said that's where a lot of relationships spoil. Somebody says they like something, they mean it. And then for the woman, I know it sounds nice. Let me also reassure you that it's still a man's world. So typically what he likes will be pushed more than what you like. So depending on who you are married to, don't go and say that I said this, you will just have problems. <laughs> don't go and give yourself a problem. It's still, it's still very much a man's world, as you can tell from last week. Uh-huh. The, 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 the skills are very different. Okay, they say I should close in the back. So, let's do the last one. Fight for the birth of the lay ministry. Fight for the birth of the lay ministry. Galatians 4.19 My little children, 
of whom I travel in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul was fighting for Christ, I'm reading, to be formed in the church of Galatia. What did Paul mean by that? Paul wanted the character of Christ to be formed in the people who had been born again. What is the character of Christ? It is the character of humility, obedience, and self-sacrifice. Such traits do not come to people easily. Humility, obedience, and self-sacrifice. Traits like that do not enter the church easily, especially in New York, land of the free, home of the brave, nine miles from heaven. <laughs> How will we be humble? We are nine miles from heaven. We are more free than everybody on earth. We are braver than everybody else. We are so full of it. How will we be humble? How will we be humble? We must pray for it, all of us. Because after we've lived here for a while, a lot of things that other people keep quiet about. I, I remember when we were in Jerusalem, at a point we realized, that they said to us that the American church, everything we didn't like, we said. We paid for this ride. Why, is, why isn't the bus here? We did this. Why didn't this happen? What happened? Everything we don't like, we say. Because like I said, land of the free, home of the brave, nine miles from heaven. How will we be humble? And we, it's, you may think you're not like that. You, you, it, it, these things, they seep into all of us slowly. You don't take nonsense and you let everybody know it. So that is why somebody said in the church in London, Pastor, I can see that there's a lot of fear in the church. And I want you to know that I don't fear you. <laughs> That's an African immigrant with some pounds in his pockets. Want the pastor to know that I don't fear you. You don't have to fear the pastor. But you have to fear the living God. You have to fear him. The Bible says that they that fear him have no wants. Don't you see how you have toiled in this place for so long and you still have wants? The Bible says that they that fear him, they have no wants. So as for him, you have to fear him. And pray that the humility of Christ and all this, and obedience and self-sacrifice, it will be in you as you work for the church. Whatever level you are working at, do it with all your might. That's what the Bible says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your might. And with all, with all your heart and with all your might and with all your strength. Do it for the love of God. And what he wants to give you for it, he will give you. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, help us to fight the enemies of the lay ministry. As never before, let us fight it by example, not by criticism. Let us fight it by serving you with gladness for the abundance of all things. You are here today. You don't even know what it is to serve the Lord because you never made him your savior. You never made him your master. You never made him your redeemer. You can do that. I can pray with you today. You can ask him to come into your life, to pardon your sins, to cleanse you from every sin, to strengthen you with might by his spirit in the inner man.
to make you a new creature. I can pray with you. Our Father, today, I give you praise. I give you praise and I give you glory. And I say, Lord, that we thank you for salvation. And we pray for the grace to be humble like Christ, to be obedient like Christ, to sacrifice like Christ, so that our church, Lord, it will be a mighty tree in which many birds of the air will come and find rest. example of Paul, the tent maker, as the one of the original lay people in the Bible, that he still blesses the lay people. That the same way he blessed Paul with a great ministry of tent making and enabled him to preach the gospel in places that Peter, James, and John did not preach it, that same God is alive today as you pay your tithe. You want to bring your tithes and your offerings into God's storehouse, please come forward. Believe in the blessing of God. Believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. you've been blessed for copies of this message or other such messages please write to us at tapes and publications at yahoo.com